when we see a woman speak with conviction, you know, we label them, right? We say, we, we have a term for that maybe, right? Maybe we say it out loud. Maybe we just label them in our head, right? And that's an example of centering because we say, well, I don't need to do that. I wouldn't do that. Well, you don't need to do that because you're a dude. <laughs> you've, never, you've never had to deal with that stuff. This is What Am I Missing, a show where we talk about what our world has taught us about being men. We know we can do better, and that starts with reflecting on the past, looking at the present through a more empathetic lens, and committing to conducting ourselves a bit differently going forward. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to learning something together. Are you caught up on Ted Lasso? I have watched season one and episode one of season two. Okay. I really like season two and it's been really interesting seeing people obsess over it. And uh, yeah, I I think my favorite bit on it was uh, McSweeney's article, which of course is supposed to be making fun of things. However, I I read it straight because it basically says anybody who doesn't like Ted Lasso needs to burn in a fire. Um, But I'm I'm a big fan of the show. And, And one of the phrases that I heard to describe the show early on that stuck with me and has given me a lens not only into how I watch it, but watching uh, how I introduce it to other people who I think should watch it is uh, this idea of non-toxic masculinity and just kind of going through and seeing what it's like when the characters approach things that are, you know, day-to-day experiences that, you know, we as men may, may find in our interpersonal connections, but, kind of deconstructing the expectations behind it and and making me realize like how much I will assume going into certain situations, what the resolution might be or what my place is in in navigating the conversation. So I'm a big fan and uh, I can't wait for you to catch up because I want to talk about it more. (laughs) What, uh, what made you think of Ted Lasso? Just really, looking forward to tomorrow's episode or, or whenever the next one comes out. But, but this last episode specifically, you know, it really explored a lot of different relationships with men in it. And it kind of confronted father son dynamics through multiple characters and, and the different types of connections that that has. And, and, and really just, you know, foundationally through that father son connection, the foundation for, or, or I guess the inception of our first modeling for men in, in many of our lives, both with men, women, and, and anyone. You know, oftentimes if they grow up with a father, that is their their first uh, example of what manhood or masculinity or any of those things um, that they, they end up uh, observing through society is kind of a lens on. So... Just knowing that I was going to talk to you, I was thinking that we hadn't talked about that. And I was curious, uh, you know, if you had spent some time watching it and if there's anything maybe that you've, you've learned or taken away from, from watching it. It's funny, now that you mention it, uh, it, it feels like 
Yeah, the show definitely goes against the grain. It's not the the typical personification of you know the the, the male attributes across all the different characters, right? But there's also this. I think there's this other topic that kind of you can extract from it. They talk about uh, football in England, and for Ted, football is pigskin. It's you know. Uh, American football, right? And that's that's related to centering, which is something you and I have sort of discussed offline. And I think maybe we can use that as a as a launching board into centering. What what does centering mean to you? Yeah, I, I first heard about it in relation to white centering. So so in, in context of race. So the idea often that if you're of a majority in power, not a majority, but, but of a, a, a class or attribute or privilege and power, in my case, being white, a lot of the lens that I have in the world comes from that perspective and makes a lot of assumptions that everything I see in society that I connect with and that I assume is the way that the rest of society works continues to come from that kind of centered position. And so in one way, that's a perspective piece. And then the other way that it comes up for me and and how I've identified it more with my interpersonal relationships with with other people and, and women specifically is just this thought that when situations come up, where people feel different ways about it, I think a really common go-to for me is to talk about how I feel about it before maybe I listen to how other people feel about it. And, and I think that perpetuates that dominance of, in my case, a, a white male perspective and thinking it's important enough not only to talk about, but to come first in a conversation or maybe the only perspective that maybe matter in some cases. And, and so that's something that I've been chewing on for a while and uh, really noticing it more within myself or with others, especially when people react to situations or news or, or different things where, where they see something happening. And for them, it's about how it makes them feel versus maybe also taking a survey of how others might feel in this situation. So that's, broadly a, a few different ways that centering shows up for me. How, how about you? I, I, I know when I first brought that up as a topic, it's something that we've wanted to talk about. And um, where, where does centering show up for you? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> uh, since we thought about you know this topic, I, I've, I've been examining it, and it, it shows up in really innocuous ways, but then in, in pre- difficult and hurtful ways too. So one example is my partner uh, suffered from an eating disorder. And although eating disorders, um, you know, there are men with eating disorders as well and uh, non-binary folks with, with eating disorders, the evidence shows that it turns out that younger women are um, sort of the biggest demographic that are impacted by eating disorders. And my partner suffered from this for many years. I love to cook. 
and I love to think about food and I love to talk about food and, and you know, all of that stuff. And the ritual of maybe going out to dinner, I center that around my own perception of the world. You know, I think food is love. I think food is life. I think food is where you create meaning and rituals and connections. Uh, for her, she's had a very difficult and very different experience with food. And knowing this now, knowing this about her and just about people in general, maybe, you know, the next time, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm excited about something, I'll think about, you know, how this is impacting someone else, what, what their interpretation of it is, their, what their context is, right? This becomes particularly important. I'm glad you brought up the example of people of color. And a lot of times when we, you know, these terms are thrown around like meritocracy as an example, that is by definition a concept that is very centered because the very people who believe that they have succeeded through a merit meritocratic environment don't realize the privilege that they've had and how uh, others, just by virtue of their zip code that they were in or their race or whatnot, didn't even have the same starting block, right? There was a, just their starting point was in a very different place. Now, taking this back to, you know, what you and I talk a lot about, which is misogyny and sexism, something else that I've become sort of aware of as I'm thinking about this is that when I think about, um, my work, when I think about um, logistics of working with people, sc scheduling meetings, locations, um, the kitchen, the sort of food that's stocked in the kitchen, where things are placed, etc. I subconsciously am centering all of that around me, around my own preferences, around my size. I'm uh, 6'1", 6 200 plus pounds, I'm not a small person, right? And, you know, just by virtue of that, like literally where I put things in the fridge, where I, <laughs> you know, that is, you know, like, it's not that other people are short, maybe I'm above average tall, right? That's, that's just a small mm -hmm. thing, right? But women feel this, I've been told by women, <laughs> that they feel this, and men are just not aware of it, like just our physical presence, when we think we're making someone else feel safe, we may actually be imposing or threatening to them, right? Um, and then finally, uh, you know, two, two of our, at least two of the women that we've interviewed during the On Misogyny conversations have brought up centering in two very interesting ways, um, but both having to do with feminism. When we talk about feminism currently, in most cases, this is being, again, centered around Western or American, certainly white, middle-class women. And, you know, Masrat mentioned this when it came to the American feminist view of the burqa or of the hijab, of what Muslim women uh, wear as part of their practice. And it, it has a tone of condescension and almost regarding it as savage or savagery or something that's dated or that is imposed on them. And that is, again, as a result of centering. And Eileen uh, Chow mentioned this very eloquently when, when 
we're talking about like a feminist view of like Asian women and Asian women being almost like sexual objects or backwards or very sort of lustful, et cetera. Whereas in like China and Japan, there's a, you know, feminism and, and, and poetry and matriarchy has been around for generations, right? It, 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 it uh, far older than sort of American notions of feminism, but, it, but were you to read something from a less informed current sort of thinker around feminism, you'd see that that's an example of centering um, uh, in this context. Yeah. And it's kind of this effect of whoever the narrator is, right? There's always going to be the narrator's context and point of view. And I was arguing about something around politics earlier today, but one of the things I also realized was that putting things in context of the status quo is also a type of setting. Just always seeing how things relate to the way they've happened before, maybe instead of how they might relate to the, the newcomers or the, the outsiders who are coming to the situation. Like, right. You're always looking to see if we think of it, you know, countrywide, like what are the immigrants bringing? Versus, you know, the immigrants coming in saying, well, what are the people who are already there experiencing? Like, it's, it's always centered around who tells a story in the context of the, the challenges and plights and, and whatnot of, of the people involved. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's really important to, to kind of recognize when we as individuals are doing it. And like you said, in context of even at work or, or other places that we relate to others and... Yeah, have you have you caught yourself um, beyond you know handing the the glasses up to the top shelf where other people can't reach them and whatnot? But but have you seen this show up in, in kind of like a consist, consistent way in the way that you go to work or, or lead a team or, or other things that you've kind of been able to step away from over time or realize it's been a pattern that you want to, to break or overcome? There, there are many patterns that I want to break and overcome. You know that that article that that you introduced several episodes again. How to run a feminist organization? I just keep coming back to that. Know when to facilitate versus lead. We think this is a form of centering. For me, you know, I have to be visible to be effective or to be powerful or to be you know, impactful or something like that. But where and, do you think that comes from? Well, I, I, because the people who wrote all the business books are white men and the people who taught them were white men. And this system has been set up to feed these masculine games, right? And, and again, back to that article and, and, the, the game that Ted Lasso refuses to play, by the way, right? So interestingly, like what, what, what's happening is that, you know, something like pronouns, mm-hmm. because I don't use them, doesn't mean that I shouldn't use them. And if I do use them, I could make it more comfortable for someone else to start using them who really desperately wants to, to own their own identity and to be recognized for who they are. So an example of centering is me saying, well, I don't need it. So then why should you need it? Right. Uh, 
or, or I don't have one, like you're free to use yours. But this is why if you don't understand this, you can't really effectively be an ally. Do you see what I'm saying? So, so to, 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 to really, you know, take the next step, I need to be first aware of my own centering. And to you, to your point, like think about my feelings may not be the only feelings here. Right. And actually understand what they're going through. And then what can I actually give up or do differently or not consume? Not every fucking tweet deserves a response from me. I, not my opinion is not so important that it should always be shared. You were having an interaction this morning. What was that about? Yeah, it was um, talking to somebody online and, and it's in this you know forum where people post and can respond and kind of even just thinking about what you were saying about not everything needs a response. It's, it's really interesting to observe broadly within the online communities who, who feels like they always need to be the last post in a thread or conversation when things are going back and forth. But uh, we were discussing AOC at the Met and she wore this dress that says uh, tax the rich sensibly is you know, at a rich party full of rich people and trying to leverage her platform to potentially make a statement. Or at least that's you know, how, how me and maybe a lot of people interpret it. And she was receiving criticism from a lot of different people. And, and it's funny because they were criticizing her for, for different or even opposing reasons, but everybody wanted to criticize her. And, and my, my first reaction, you know, thinking through these things is, would this have happened if it was Bernie Sanders? Or would this have happened if it wasn't a young woman of color in a position of power? And, and so when I, put that lens on it and try to decenter, you know, the status quo of politics as I understand, which is not very well. I, I don't pretend to be a political junkie and have very mild opinions about those goings on. But the thing that I saw is, you know, somebody who has a really powerful platform and audience and direct connection with people, um, was showing that she was a person of influence and power who was hanging out with a lot of other people of influence and power. And as it kind of broke down in conversation, it kept going through the uh, person I was going back and forth with kept bringing up this kind of foundational, does this help her with her power in politics or does it work against her power in politics? And, and so all of my little lights started going off. Off, I think about you know going back to uh, one of our earlier conversations and the fundamental qualities, the, the genderless qualities, in, in a way of, of uh, patriarchy and masculinity, is just this needing for hierarchy and needing for dichotomy and needing for things to be a certain way. And and the further I got into the conversation, the more I realized that. You know, we're, we're talking about different things and different values. And, and fundamentally, the whole conversation probably wouldn't have happened if it wasn't uh, AOC and, and her kind of resonance with disrupting the field of, of politics in her space and, and who she is and what she stands for. And, and so I started looking online and reading some tweets and, and just really finding some different uh, threads that, that touched on 
how everybody's right, how everybody's perspective has some truth to it. Maybe not everybody's right, but everybody's perspective has some context to it that makes it true for them. And then realizing that each one of those is informed by different contexts. You know, people who are of uh, lower or middle-class income sees that as kowtowing to the rich and, and going and being at this fancy party where, you know, they're handing out hors d'oeuvres and everybody's wearing million-dollar dresses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then for some people, they, they saw it as hypocritical. How, how is she fighting for the people when she's, you know, endorsing, legitimizing, you know, this event that is represents a, a lot of maybe more negative things to a lot of people. And um, people on the right side of the aisle were, were calling her out for hypocrisy and people on the left side of the aisle were, were calling her out for, you know, alienating her base. And it was just really interesting. I, I really don't have a personal opinion on any of this, but just seeing everybody's kind of strong reactions to it and, and, and really trying to figure out why they were so strong and, and, you know, identifying that they're all different because everybody wants to center their values of what performative actions they want to see the representatives they either stand behind or don't stand behind do in the decisions that they make. And I don't know. I honestly think, you know, a week from now, a month from now, the way our news cycle works, this is going to be a non thing, but it, it definitely is a big conversation right now. And so that's where I came back to thinking about this topic that we're talking about tonight and just centering as, as a way of, of how we're putting a lens on the world and the way that we see it and the way that we try to value it and how much we judge the, the actions of others based on our values and then, you know, trying to identify where those values come from and why they are what they are. It's a very powerful example. And I coincidentally just saw a video of Muhammad Ali uh, on a talk show and a woman in the audience, this was, I believe, in the 60s, it could have been in the early 70s, said to him, you're very arrogant. And Muhammad Ali wasn't backing down and he wasn't having any of it. And he held his ground and thinking about that video and watching that, he was in a no-win situation. The system wasn't going to fix itself. He was speaking up for himself and for other Black people. And that made white people uncomfortable. And if you think about what's happening to us, as men, we're watching women take ownership of their lives independent of any validation from men. And I think that's making a lot of men uncomfortable. So when we see a woman speak with conviction, you know, we label them, right? We say, we, we have a term for that maybe, right? Maybe we say it out loud. Maybe we just label them in our head, right? And that's an example of centering because we say, well, I don't need to do that. I wouldn't do that. Well, you don't need to do that because you're a dude. <laughs> you've never, you've never had to deal with that stuff. That's a really good point. I, what you're making me realize too, is that when we're observing the world, 
we're constantly trying to label, identify, and bucket things, or at least I do. Sorry, I'm centering again. And when I do that, I'm not giving things unknown to me an opportunity to be what they are and, and be something that comes at me as an unknown to me that I'm learning about. Rather, I'm trying to assign it something. It's kind of like that, you know, you can't date somebody who looks like one of your exes or something like that, because then you end up just pouring your context of who you think they are or what the person is. Like I have friends who have voices and other friends that I've had in the past. And so I, in my mind, like I, I associate them with that person, even though they literally, you know, have never lived on the same continent and don't know each other. But yeah, I, I just, I am constantly trying to figure out how I can see myself from a perspective that isn't myself and then at least the views I hold and share and, and how I navigate that. Um, can I share a quote with you? Have you sure. heard of Douglas Adams? No. For, uh, okay. So he wrote the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And, oh, um, I, yeah, he's, I read that a long, long time ago. I read that in English class instead of the things I was supposed to read. My teacher couldn't figure out why I kept laughing out loud. Um, but forgive the old white guy quote, but uh, he, he has this one that stuck with me and it, it just sticks, comes up to me in my mind because I, I feel like it is also another version of centering. I'm really interested in exploring all the different ways this word can apply because I, I feel like I can take more understanding and notice it a little bit differently as it comes up. Uh, but he said, I, I've come up with a set of rules that describe our reactions to technologies. Three rules. Number one, Anything that is in the world when you're born is normal and ordinary and is just a natural part of the way the world works. Number two, anything that's invented between when you're 15 and 35 is new and exciting and revolutionary, and you can probably get a career in it. Number three, anything invented after you're 35 is against the natural order of things. Uh, against the natural order of things. And, and, it kind of brings the age perspective dynamic to a lot of this. And, and I find that it sticks with me because as I get older, I don't want to think the world needs to be a certain way. And the world really doesn't care what I think the world needs to be or how it needs to be or how it can make me more comfortable or, or provide less work for me. Like, you know, as I get older, is there one less operating system that I need to, learn as I age or is there one, you know, fewer passwords that I need, like, like all of these things that are changing and stuff that gets added on. And, and so the way that I'm, I'm trying to, to manage that is understand maybe a little bit more as to why the world is the way that it is, understand what people are going to do in that world, regardless of what I think. And then focus more on coming to terms with, how I want to deal with myself living in this world where all of these other people are doing these things that have zero like, input involved in their decisions. And so I, you know, nerd in me applies that to space travel and to genetic engineering and, and all of this stuff, um, global warming, et cetera. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's another way that I'm trying to kind of recondition my perspective to think a little bit less about, what I think should be or not should be and really 
ask questions as to why other people feel the way that they do or, or build things the way that they build them and, and understand, you know, those ends and my relationship to those intentions rather than thinking that they shouldn't exist or people shouldn't spend time on them or, or whatever. I love that. I love that example. And I think you, you, you've said something there that's really the most critical point, which is ask questions, right? We, we label because in our mind, we have to categorize and compartmentalize. We are looking for patterns and we oftentimes are tricked. We believe we've seen the pattern before we've actually uh, undertaken meaningful inquiry. And again, I bring this back to, to women and sexism and, and misogyny. Centering, now that I think about it, can impact consent. Think about that. You know, I'm, I'm aroused. I'm ready to go, whatever. That, that will shift my thinking to exclusively see the situation as, you know, my needs or where, where we are at, right? I think, you know, again, I, you know, for you and me, maybe this is just some homework to really start to see the connection between centering. Again, we, we couldn't find a lot of stuff online about this, but as you, as I'm listening to you and we're just sort of exploring the different ways this manifests and, and the harm that it can do, it's clear to me that there is a strong connection between our inability to see things from someone else's lens or ask questions as you framed it to creating an unsafe world for for women i mean it's 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 critical so so put put more succinctly to end misogyny and patriarchy in general men have to become much more aware of their own tendencies to center things around themselves have there been other pivotal moments where your perspective was kind of shrunk in all at once. Like you, you had this worldview and then you realize that other people have a very different view and, and kind of brought it, brought it down. And, and while I've heard multiple times in the interviews you've had, how that directly relates to your place in this world as a man, do you think it, that's the primary way it shows up? Does it show up in other ways? Like, I guess you mentioned that, because you're, you're taller, you have a different perspective on the world. Are there things that you've specifically been able to do differently through such realizations? Um, and and maybe, maybe that goes to what you were saying about asking questions before presenting oneself. And, and honestly, even with that, I know I have room for improvement because I'm really good at asking questions that lead conversations to where I want them to go. And, and so, um, you know, how, how do you, how do we, how does anyone continue to move forward in such a way that these things are identified or unlearned? Or, or I, I guess what I'm saying is what, what does it look like to get better at doing this? I, man, you're, you're, you're touching like, this is, um, every time you and I are going to do one of these things or we're, we're sort of doing our research or just reading and sharing notes back and forth, um, I know that I'm probably starting to do it right if it feels uncomfortable 
and it feels different. And it's causing me to sort of reflect and take some inventory and to maybe reconsider how I've either acted or behaved uh, in the past, given my new information. I will also say this. The goal here is not perfection. The goal is awareness and some action. And that's our life's journey. Right? That, that's it. And, and as, as long as there's this humility and, and also not feeling paralyzed by the enormity of the transformation, just saying, okay, let me just observe centering. That's interesting. I'm going to plant that seed. And two or three times a day, maybe I'll revisit that. What am I seeing? What am I sensing? How does that apply? Just again, in this conversation with you right now, things are popping up in my head, right? We, we do this and we do this every day, a couple times a day. Sometimes it's a minute. Sometimes it's 10 minutes. A week goes by. A month goes by. We share what we've learned with another man. We listen to them. They share with us. A week goes by. A month goes by. Pretty soon a year goes by. And hopefully what we see when we take inventory a year afterwards is that maybe our rituals are a little bit different. Maybe some of the baggage that we've carried that was handed down from a previous generation or from a, from a sort of an unhealthy environment, maybe we can just discard that. I, my language, hey guys, I don't have to say hey guys anymore because guess what? 90% of the people that I'm addressing are not men. <laughs> so I don't have to say hey guys anymore, right? This is a simple one. And again, if, if I just sort of feel that little bit of curiosity and a little bit of forgiveness to myself that I'm just learning, I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to figure out how to not make the same mistake a hundred times, right? That grace is critical because this is a long journey. I like that example only because I remember the moment I read somewhere and it was probably a tweet or something that said, you know, guys is a sexist um, term to address a group of people. And the example that was given was, you know, if you walk into a classroom or a room and you say, hey, all the guys stand up, you know, you're going to see who stands up and who doesn't stand up. And yet we still use that word, or I've used that word, still use that word to, to address groups of people. And when I when that example was framed that way to me, if you do this, and this is what happens, this is clearly how... It, 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 it impacts people of different genders differently. And it was just such like a mind fuck for me to like wrap my head around that concept because I've been doing it for 20, 30 years or whatever. And I told my partner about it and they were like, yeah, duh. Why, why is this so revelatory? <laughs> well, you don't understand. Anyway, yeah. obviously <laughs> they do understand. But um, yeah, I, I think it was kind of, moments that we can awaken ourselves to change these small habits, these small things, it, it adds up. Um, you know, I don't write he or she anymore in, in text. I was writing a job description for work earlier today and, and just using they all the time and, and making sure that I'm trying to just be a little bit better at those things because I, I find that I start triggering myself. The things that trigger other people, they start triggering me and, and that's how I start noticing things and, and hopefully that continues to snowball into 
to other habits that I'll notice more in other ways. Do you want to do our segment on not as woke as I thought I was? Sure. (laughs) One of my kids, my third son, I'm sorry, my third child, my second son, I I have four four kids, so it's hard. Um, He's four. And we're going to go grocery shopping. We're going to go out, go to the park, do some grocery shopping, get some ice cream. And he came, I said, go get dressed and come down. He came downstairs in his pink dress. He, he has a pink dress that once in a while he likes to put on. And, uh, and as soon as I saw him in his pink dress, in my head, it was like, oh, no, we're leaving the house. We're not just playing, in, you know, we're not going up to the playroom or something. We're leaving the house. And he said, I know, I'm, I'm ready to go. And it hit me right there that I was uncomfortable going out of the house with him wearing his dress. And this whole thing happened in less than a few seconds, right? But as I've had time to think about it, you know, and then I was like, Jesus, what? Of, of course that you wear your dress. If you're happy in it, I'm happy in it. And, and we'll go anywhere and you can wear that wherever the hell you want to. But I did feel that. I did have this moment that this did not register. It did not fit the pattern that I had in my head, right? From my old context. You bucketed your wokeness within the house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so like, you know, here I am, I, 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 talk to you, I try to read, I try to whatever. But in that se- in that moment, I uh, felt, I disappointed myself. You know, I felt, uh, but then again, you know, you, you have to have a little bit of, a little bit of say, okay, I'm, I'm learning whatever, but, but that's my, my latest example of, man, I got, a, I got a lot of work to do. So. Thank you for sharing that. I realized this past couple of weeks that, as uh, the projects and work that I've done have ramped up, um, I, I need to figure out different ways of self-care. And one of those ways for me is uh, being better about doing morning meditations. And one of the techniques they talk about is, is noting. And so I think you had space in the, the narratives like, you know, for today, Note all times that you change positions between seating and standing or standing and seating. And it's hard. It's hard to notice something that's common because then I'll do the meditation the next day. It's like, how many times did you notice yourself? Damn it, zero. You know, I, I just, I, it's so invisible when, when it's so habitual that, that stopping ourselves and whatnot is... It's coming out, and, and I realize that some of my resistance in doing this work is continually trying to focus on the progress and the perfection that I, you know, think I'm pointing at, trying to get closer to, and realize I'll never get to, but but it's just kind of that that ongoing effort, and I don't know the parts of myself as readily that I'm disappointed in within myself of the shame that it makes me feel or whatever else. So I think that's going to be the homework I give to myself is between now and next time noting 
moments of center, knowing moments of, of opportunities where I can encourage myself to acknowledge something that I don't align with that comes from me and then be excited about the opportunity to not do that anymore rather than ignore it and cross my fingers that it doesn't happen again or, or shame myself into doing it. That's, that's you know, another episode about Asian, Catholic, etc. I need to, to probably go to therapy about that. Um, yeah, I, I, I appreciate you catching yourself, noting it, and sharing that, and reminding me of the tools that I have to, to note myself as well. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Shira. Until next time. This episode of What Am I Missing was brought to you by your hosts, Max Velasconot and Shervin Talia. Editing and sound production was performed by Jason Barkhouse with intro music composed and performed by Keon Talia. Our website was designed by Michaela Bennett and can be found at whatamimissing.fm. Visit us online to share your thoughts and feedback, and we'll be with you next time.